Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where we gather around a table and we discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film studies course. This week's film is no exception, as we are looking at Avengers Infinity War. There is no jokey title about that, because that is exactly what it is. Um, so, yeah. It goes on for infinity? It lasts forever. The movie does. And so, yeah, it does all that It's stuff. on a loop. Um, Much like the uh, the current uh, Marvel production cycle. Is never ceasing and continuous. Yes. So uh, we are going to do that thing uh, for your ears right now, and we're going to identify the voices speaking directly into those ears. Who are you, sir? I am Arthur Gordon, and I speak Groot. They taught it on Asgard. It was an elective. Yep, that's true. I, I, you know, I've seen his Groot textbooks uh, laying around his house. Very good, sir. To my right, who are you? My name is Dalton Stewart, and all words are made up. That's also very true. That is so my line. And I was so proud that, you know, Thor would copy me, um, since I cannot copy his beard. Uh, but my name is Dustin Sells, and what master do I serve? What am I supposed to say? Jesus? I guess so. Moving on. Uh, so glad to be here uh, with you all talking about Avengers Infinity War. If you're tuning into the Good Trash Genre cast for the very first time, we want to warn you of a few things. We are doing an analysis show, not a review show. And that does indeed mean that there will be spoilers. This is a 2018 film that everybody saw. Um, you know, it's interesting that we've just concluded this blind spots marathon with the brightest spot uh, possible in which everyone saw this particular 2018 release, but we will be spoiling that film, but we'll avoid it for the first little bit if you've been living under a stone uh, for the last little bit. So this is what it looks like, a synopsis from the voice of the cinema, then our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, and then we play a game, which might involve the mildest of spoilers of this film and other films in its orbit, and yeah, could do that. Um, and maybe even predictive, prophetic, Nostradamus-style spoilers uh, in this particular week's game at play. And then we get down to business, and that business is, as always, analysis. And that will mean the spoiler uh, embargo has been lifted. You have been warned. So, without any further ado, Mr. Arthur Gordon, voice of that there cinema. Can we hear that synopsis, please? The Avengers and their allies must be willing to sacrifice all in an attempt to defeat the powerful Thanos before his blitz of devastation and ruin puts an end to the universe. Dun, dun, dun. The stakes have never been higher. I mean, the end of the universe. Them, them's, them's big stakes. Half of all the things will die. It's a hell of a porterhouse. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Indeed. Like stakes. Mm, steak. Uh, so there you go, dear listener. That's what the movie's about. Let's talk about what we think of it. Arthur, thumbs up, thumbs down, go. Um, yeah, it's it's fine. It is it is a it is what you want it to be as a if you are a Marvel fan who has been watching this ten year experiment pan out. It is everything I think you'd want. Uh, in this kind of you know, it is the crossover event of the comic book series. It is that. It is taking all of these people. Throwing them under one roof and seeing how they live together, and and it's fun. I mean, it is just what two and a half hours of our favorite characters interacting, uh, in you know the situations you'd hope we get Thor and the Guardians, we get uh, Rocket and Groot and Captain America having some back and forth. We we've got uh, Black Panther teaming up with the uh, uh, Steve Rogers. We've got all that stuff playing out here, and it it's fun. It is a two and a half hour set piece where the action doesn't stop. Um, I think on, on rewatch, I think, uh, you know, in the initial viewing, 
of this film in theaters, you kind of get swept up in it, and it doesn't feel like there's a lot of room to breathe. But I think it does give you a few of those moments. There are some quiet uh, bits where people get to interact. Um, but that that's pretty much what it is, you know. Uh, we're going to talk, I think, about the structure of the film and these films uh, when we get to analysis. Uh, but this is really the fun and game section of a movie. Uh, if you're looking at uh, a three-act classical style of breaking out a script, this is the fun and game section. Uh, it's it's what's on the poster, it's what's in the trailers, and so it's it's fine, it's fun. It's not the best MCU film um, this year, and uh, I I like it, I enjoyed it, I, I think it's got a lot of fun uh, character beats. Uh, I, I I like that um, Marvel was smart enough to let people like James Gunn and Derrickson and. Uh, you know, everybody like that step in to kind of have their say in how those characters get represented here, uh, which helps uphold the tone that, you know, Thor Ragnarok and Black Panther and uh, Doctor Strange uh, really established for those characters. And I think it helps keep this from becoming jarring tonally, um, because if they weren't careful, it could have a completely different feel. Uh, but the bits with the Guardians and the bits with Thor feel like you're watching Ragnarok or they feel like you're watching one of the Guardians films, and so to be able to carry those threads across uh, really, I think, helps the film work. Um, but that, that's it for me. It's thumbs up. I, I mean, it's a giant CGI fest, so I don't, I mean, the flaws are there, the positives are there for me, it works, and I think it's a film uh, that you either are going to enjoy or just going to check out on, so... We'll see. There you go. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What do you say, Dalton Stewart? Thumbs up, thumbs down on Avengers Infinity War. I, I think that was very well put, Arthur. You know whether or not you like this movie already. I mean, there's there's not a whole lot of mystery going in, and I think that is a big part of the problem. Uh, we can't talk about this film without discussing the context of all of the films leading up to it, and that's not how cinema works as we currently understand it. And I think that's a big hill for people to get over. Um, I mean, there, there is a, a name check paid to Flash Gordon at one point in this movie. And I think that's very apt because, uh, as we were discussing off mic, these films are, are serials like we used to have in the 30s and 40s and 50s, except instead of running in front of the feature film, it is the feature film. The, the feature film is just the serial you would have used to have seen before the movie, the, the kids entertainment before the, the actual film. And that's an interesting experiment. And if you can get on board with that, I, I think there's a lot here to like. Uh, if that's not for you, though, the movie's just asking a whole lot of you as an audience member. And that's not totally fair. And I, I think is a good reason that a lot of people are turned off by this film. Uh, and I, I don't think that's really a problem. I mean, it's a problem for the film, sure. But as a viewer... No, that's okay. You don't have to be on board for this. It's just uh, it's asking you to take film in a very different context than how we normally consume it. Um, so yeah, that's going to work for some people, or it's not. Uh, I know uh, Dustin struggles with that, and it's not even whether or not the experiment. Uh, it, it's it's a gold bloom in Jurassic Park moment, right? Uh, we were so busy asking if we could, we never really stopped to think if we should. And that's that's a question that you have to parse out. And I guess we'll get there when we get to analysis. But I kind of thought it was important to talk about because that's how I have to discuss this film because that's how my appreciation for it exists is in that really big context. Uh, as, as a movie, though, it's 
it's professional wrestling. It's uh, Shakespearean tragedy. It's all of these things squished together that we like from our stories. This is a movie where the, the Norse god of thunder fights a cyborg. Uh, this movie's got it all. It's It's got all the fun wackiness that uh, you could ever possibly want out of a movie. And um, you know what? For a lot of people, that's going to be fun. And for others, it's just going to be a bridge too far. And I... I see and appreciate all those points of view. Uh, for me, I think it works more often than it doesn't. Um, th- and I think a big part of that is um, this film, a little bit too knowingly sometimes, but uh, knows it's standing on the shoulders of other properties uh, and is able to effectively say, hey, th- this is a weird movie and we know it's weird and we're asking you to go with it a little bit. And uh, I-, I don't know, I kind of like that. There's something very... Uh, lived in uh, about the the Marvel universe uh, that we don't get from other franchises. I think a big part of that is what Marvel's always had going for it is actively trying to set their stories in the real world um, and trying to, uh, much like these movies are you know paying homage to uh, the old serials a little bit. I think the Marvel Cinematic Universe or the uh, Marvel Comics as a whole for a very long time have been trying to pay homage to you know, the roots they knew they were coming from, which was, you know, old old mythology. Um, they were actively trying to create this fiction for the, the current world and set them actively within one another. Um, and again, all of these these postmodern spins on old mythology, whether or not they're, you know, religious myths uh, about creation or whether they're just kind of pop cultural zeitgeisty type stuff, uh, the, the pro wrestling aspects of this film that come in, I think they're all trying to weave those things together. Uh, and I think that's really interesting and a big part of why I like this movie. Um, the other thing that keeps it on its toes and makes it grounded a little bit is the fact that they have the most famous people in the world in these damn movies. Uh, they, they have taken the most famous of the famous and made them get into professional wrestler uh, shape which is insane that they, they're convincing all these people to make this their job. Yes, comedy schlubs like Chris Pratt and uh, Paul Rudd uh, are just thrown in there to become these bodybuilding cut guys. Just big old beefcakes. Yeah, it's uh, it's nuts. And uh, I, I think getting the the most famous A-list actors into these movies is the, the studio's way to be like, you're allowed to like it too because the jocks are, are at this party as well. I think there's definitely a little bit of that going on. Sure. Um, and I, I think that's interesting. Uh, it's very similar um, to what we saw with Westerns, uh, what we're seeing with superhero movies, and I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But uh, it really is this kind of... Uh, this niche thing, I mean, because uh, the Western genre predates Western filmmaking. I mean, you have the Penny Dreadfuls and pulp novels from back in the day, and I think there's probably a point in our culture where that was also silly baby stuff, too. And then it eventually crossed over into the larger uh, pop cultural context. And that's a huge, uh, you know, proposition on my part. I, I don't know that for a fact, but... Uh, I think I'm with you. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think it holds water, maybe. Yeah. My point is, this is a weird movie. And uh, I'm excited to talk about it. And honestly, more than anything, I'm excited to hear what Dustin has to say about it. Uh, Dustin, how do you like this film? I mean, I've I've given you a very non-committal opinion on my part. Uh, mostly, I think that's because I'm 
scared to like it too much because I don't want you to be mean to me. So I'm, what do you think? I'm not going to be mean to you or the movie. I, okay, so I would title my review right now Analog Girl in a Digital World. Uh, and and the, part of what I'm saying here, it's like think about that experience of discovering comics. And I, I'm thinking about the early 90s when I ex- experienced and discovered those Infinity Gauntlet comics and I owned the entire run. Of those, uh, you know, first set, and I, you know, I was going into somebody's, you know, baseball card sort of collector memorabilia shop, and they always had, you know, the 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 bins full of old comics, and you'd buy a batch for a quarter or whatever, and you would do that, and you'd buy titles like the Avengers and X Factor, X Force, and you would read those and Spider Man. And there was always something really infuriating. Is first of all, you never had the complete run of, say, you know, the Maximum Carnage saga or the Executioner Song saga from X Men or whatever it would happen to be. And I'm just name dropping bunches of these yeah. because this is sort of that pre-graphic novel kind of moment in comic books. And you would read that bit and you would like it, but you would you you knew you were missing something, and you knew it was pretty vital, and you might say. I would care more if I knew this, mm. and I care enough to go ahead and find that. Or you would choose, I would care more, but I mean, th- I just got to make my choices in my media, and of the things, um, X Factor is just not going to be one of the ones I'm going to look at right now. You know, even though, I mean, I like some of those old, you know, giant size X Men first uh, edition characters like your, like your Beast and, you know, your Havoc and all that. I- I'm just, I'm just out. I just can't do it. And uh, so you would just you just sort of make those calls uh, based on that. And what we've got here with this movie, and again, this is almost analysis as review, and I, I apologize for that. Uh, yeah, I kind of entered into that that space as well, so uh, I'm you know, going to give you a pass. Yeah, it, it, but here the thing is, it is not – we're not at a point of the comic book movie – to the level of the comic book graphic novel. We're not there yet. We are at the comic book movie, which it is the serialized, just issue after issue comic books that has now um, evolved into a crossover sort of experience like you were talking about earlier, Dalton. And there's a way in which the wager of the movie is, do you follow enough? Because you don't have Stan Lee in the back corner saying, hey, see Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man number 304, and you'll know exactly what we're talking about here. You don't have sort of the Cliff's Notes um, that you do in the comic book universe. You just sort of just know you're missing something. And this movie is full of missing pieces. It is just chock full of what's not there. And if you are there for it already, I think there is definitely a satisfaction and a pleasure that you experience. If you are there for it but you don't know the pieces, you're going to be willing to look into them or at least Google the Wikipedia to figure out what's going on uh, in what you've missed, right? And so there's that. But if you just want to go in for a cinematic experience, this is like just finding the rando comic magazine in a bin at a baseball card store Mm -hmm. and looking at it and going, well, I mean, it's pretty. The art's good. There's some funny lines there. I appreciate some of the humor. It seems like there are stakes, but okay. Uh, Arthur, off air, I believe it was you that said uh, it's it's like skipping to the the last episode of Lost. Yeah, it's it's... You know the serialized form of st- uh, storytelling. It's it's going into you know a lot of dramas or stuff used to do the two part series finale, and that's what this really is. It's it's skipping the the however many seasons of TV uh, and just checking in for that series finale and being like, okay, I mean it's cool. I I guess there's some cool things about this, but I don't know these characters and I don't know what's going on and I don't know the stakes. 
And, uh, I mean, didn't they just try to save the world last week? Like, what's so different about this week? And all of that to say, I haven't even made a qualitative evaluation in saying all that. I'm just simply saying that's sort of the substance of the thing that we're experiencing. And it does make it a different kind of cinema. And I don't know that it's mine. I don't know that this is my particular flavor in that because I do have limited resources in terms of time and eyeball hours to put on a screen. And I don't know that I need to want to have to be that invested just to be able to experience something like this uh, in, in, in its fullest sort of form. Yeah. And uh, even though I have seen everything over the last 10 years, there's, I don't think there's any Marvel MCU movie I've missed. I'd have to look real hard, but I think I've seen everything um, at this point. That being said, I I just happen to have, because I'm interested in movies, yeah. and that's kind of what I do. I also understand that that's probably freakish and not typical of even people who really like movies. And to know that about it and know that it expects that, I don't know that this movie I, – I, I understand its ambition. I understand its difficulty. I understand the massiveness of the task, and I think the task itself was accomplished very well, but I don't know the validity of the task itself is what I would say. And I think it's the question that uh, we're going to be asking a lot over this episode. That's kind of why I've been so excited to talk about this movie on this show um, is because I feel like a lot of the discourse about this movie that kind of was coming up around the movie when it first came out earlier this summer um, was trying I, I there's a lot of film discourse that honestly doesn't feel equipped to talk about this dumb movie right. because it, it it is struggling with what we're struggling about is can you give a qualitative assessment of this one thing when it is so very clearly part a, of other a, things it's a different thing yeah it's it's it, i again you're you're fine that you haven't really made a qualitative because I don't know that I have. I think Arthur's of the the three of us, the one that came closest to still being able to to make that judgment. And I, Arthur, even you were also still kind of couched in that. Well, this is still part of something else. It's it's a hard thing to to parse, and that's kind of why I'm excited to talk about it mm-hmm. today. Yeah, I mean, I would absolutely say it does accomplish what it sets out to accomplish. It is yeah. doing what it sets out to do, and I think doing those things well. I mean, that I can say qualitatively. It is doing that stuff in a way that I think is very, very solid. But that being said, I just don't know that the doing is worthy, and at, that's where quality comes in. Like, is this even worth having happened? And I am dubious. I will. I won't, I won't say that I'm anti. I'm like you know spitting venom at this movie um, to to name drop yet another MC. That is the MCU movie I haven't seen. I haven't seen Venom yet. Uh, outside of the MCU, technically, yeah. So oh, you're, I, you're clear. And that's. I mean, that's another whole thing entirely. Is you you don't even know what the homework is at a certain point. Yeah. It's uh, it, wait, wait. That's a Marvel character, but that's not part of this. But what about all those Daredevil shows on the Netflix? Are those? Right. Do I need to watch? No. I, they're not. They are part of the, but they're not. They're literally. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> so you're telling me these four characters are part of this thing, but they're not actually part of this thing. They're okay. they're asking you to like also read the Gnostic Gospels before you can come to their party. Yeah. yeah they're yeah. they're asking you to have done a lot, of, and not just watching the texts, but also yeah, doing the the uh, research on studio deals and crap like that to mm-hmm. understand like who is actually at this party. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. I I, I do – I mean, I don't not have fun. I do think it's too long. 
Mm. I mean, if I want to make one review thing, it's too long, and I find it ponderous. And frankly, I mean, yes, you guys are right. It is just a giant set piece. It is the giant fun and games thing. But honestly, for me personally, that is boring after a while. I love good – I mean, I love action cinema. I mean, if you listen to the show, you know, I, I sometimes sound like the snooty one, and this is probably an episode in which I'm going to sound particularly snooty. I, I mean, I love me some action. Right. I mean, I'm all about that, and the fighty, fighty, punchy, punchy, smash, smash is, is, is a thing I'm into. But I don't want just that. And that is where I'm finding um, a bit of a dissonance with the movie. So that's where I'm at. Well, uh, well, let's hurry up and get this social media thing and game done so we can... Uh, Do it. Let's really talk about this movie. I'm very... Very excited. Well, I will be as brief as I possibly can, Arthur. Uh, Excellent. Good job, Dalton. I'm done. (laughs) They're still looking at me, so I guess I'll go ahead and do it. Uh, Arthur's segue is correct. Now's the time where we uh, take a break from the show and uh, do a little housekeeping. Uh, If you want to be part of what we're doing here, if you want to join the conversation that this is all about, uh, we, we say this every week, movies are more than just the experience of watching a movie. It's about the conversations you have, and I think uh, that is uh, especially true with this movie because when something is number one, uh, a huge pop cultural touchstone like Infinity Wars, and number two is this hard to talk about uh, just as a standalone thing, uh, it's something that requires a conversation. That's what we're here for. So if you want to be part of that, you can go to Twitter. That's at good underscore trash. That is where we do most of our uh, online presence. Uh, you don't need to do that. If you are not already on Twitter, we we cannot in good conscience ask you to get on there. But if you're already there, uh, it's at good underscore trash if you want to give us a follow and start chatting at us. If you want to be part of the conversation and uh, try to avoid uh, that uh, wasteland that is social media, you can just send us an email uh, over to goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. That's the place to send all of your feedback about this show, uh, long form or otherwise. Uh, next, but certainly not least in, in the slightest, uh, you can just rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Uh, you've listened to a podcast before. You know that's the thing you're asked to do. We are going to ask you to do that. You know, you don't have to, but it'd be nice if you did. It certainly helps our visibility. Uh, you can also just go to our website, goodtrashmedia.com. Uh, Arthur just gave it a beautiful facelift. It's looking real nice over there. Uh, and if you go to goodtrashmedia.com, you can find info on basically everything we've already talked about. Uh up to this point where you can find where we're at online you can find every episode of this show we can find archives of written stuff all kinds of good stuff arthur made a face that reminded me well technically there are some uh, episodes of this show that are only in uh, the apple uh, server clouds so uh, the majority of our back catalog is over at goodtrashmedia.com uh, that is also a place where you can find info on uh, help keeping this ship afloat um you can just take that ride over there from goodtrashmedia.com, or you can go directly to uh, patreon.com forward slash GTM. Uh, that's where you're going to go to do that uh, that fun housekeeping with us and help keep the lights on. Uh, throw us some money if you're so inclined at goodtrashmedia.com. Throw us some media. Guys, it's been a long week. Hi, I'm still moving. You can go to patreon.com forward slash gtm and throw us some money there those are the correct words in the in the correct order uh there's all kinds of fun bonus content for you over there uh maybe some about uh, netflix's roma in the near future who knows we uh we very well may do that we've got we've got stuff for you so that's uh, how you can be part of this this big fun thing i think it's time for games now is that Absolutely. right seeing that dalton is clearly impaired i think it's definitely time to play a game 
That's right, dear listener. We're back with this week's game. Um, MCU characters we'd like to see in a solo movie. It might feel good. It might sound a little something. But damn the game. If it don't mean nothing. What is game? Who got game? Where's the game in life? Behind the game. Behind the game. I got game. She got game. We got game. That's right. MCU characters we'd like to see in a solo movie. Brought to you by Avengers Infinity War. It's nobody's movie. It's everyone's movie. Everyone's movie. Consume. Now, this game, because we want to see them in a solo movie, so we want to see them fight Han Solo, right? <laughs> yes. That's exactly it, 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 what is, I want. Is, is, is yes. Exactly the game Dark Horse Comics teams up with Marvel for this year's crossover event, Avengers vs. Solo. This is real. Spawn vs. Solo vs. Chewbacca vs. Alien. 2018 has been an exhausting year. Uh, there are so many Spider-Man things in this year alone. There's so many Disney things. It's just a, it's a lot of a year for film, and not always in a good way. No, not so much. Disney and The Rock both own Hollywood. They own equal shares. Uh, Disney owns half. The Rock owns the other half, and they take all the money. That's true. It is. They accurate. are the top 1%. <laughs> I mean, look, I couldn't stop thinking about how rich everybody in this movie was at one point, and mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's... Look, not... When you watch certain films, you can be like, well, that actor uh, is only in so many movies uh, in like a five-year period, so I know that they're still a normal person. The people in the MCU movies are doing several movies a year, and they're all real big money movies. It's kind of jarring, right? Yeah. yeah they're, they're definitely making some bank. It's, it's very hard to not think about, uh, especially because uh, Tony Man, Tony Man? <laughs> Iron Man, Tony Stark's power is being rich. It really took me out of the movie this this time in a way I was not expecting. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, let's go ahead and hear what those selections are. I'm going to go to you first, Dalton Stewart. What say you for your number first pick for a Marvel character you'd like to see in a solo film? My number first pick is going to be uh, Amadeus Chow, the totally awesome Hulk. A character I actually don't know a whole lot about. I just know that uh, he, for several years... Uh, up in this these recent like 2010 to now they've been swapping out a lot of the uh the main characters uh it seems like a dry run for replacing actors in the mcu honestly but i think it's a it's a fun thing that they're doing and one of those characters is amadeus chow who uh, takes over uh for bruce banner as the the primary hulk uh, out there being big and green and uh, i know that they've kind of folded in some of the times when uh, the hulk is smart into this character which i think is a lot of fun and uh, yeah, he's he's a nineteen-year-old Hulk. I I like that. I uh, I'm not. It's too hard to follow comic books. It's hard enough to follow these damn movies. I'm not going to start reading these books. Uh, I'd certainly watch a movie with that character, though. So yeah, give me that. Amadeus Chow, the totally awesome Hulk. Excellent, excellent for a first pick. What is your number first pick, Mister Arthur Gordon? My first pick already feels like he's been set up uh, in, in some way, and that is Nova. Uh, oh yeah, Richard Ryder, I believe, something like that. Yeah, sounds yeah. right. Um, the uh, who is part of the Nova Force, which we've been introduced to in Guardians of the Galaxy, which uh, we learned his home planet has been destroyed by Thanos in Infinity War. Um, and so it seems like a pretty natural setup to introduce this character. And we just kind of get some more of that intergalactic play. We we get to see more space that isn't Guardian-centric. We can kind of explore new worlds. Uh, you could do a procedural in space, right? I, I think what's fun about some of these standalones is... Uh, it's it's playing with those genre films that have superheroes in them. You know, Ant Man is a heist movie with a superhero, or you know, whatever it is. And, and I think you know, having this kind of cop procedural uh, where this guy is investigating something across space uh, could just be a lot of fun. And then, of course, he winds up on Earth somehow to fight 
whatever big bad shows up for MCU Phase 6. Yeah, uh, it's interesting that you go with uh, the procedural kind of uh, view for Nova there because, I mean, as a very, very powerful, over almost overpowered kind of character, you could really go high space opera with it, but that's not yeah. what you want to see. Yeah, you want to see... This whole thing's a space opera. I mean, this... Oh, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, let's just simplify it, man. Just mm-hmm. Let's take some time. Give me seven in space uh, where uh, Nova's trying to figure out who's uh, killing all these people, uh, and he's just trying to figure out what's in the box. And that's, you know, that's the goal. I want Nova... Uh, let me let me see that happen. I'm all about that. That's a great pick. I like it. Uh, my number first pick is going to be Nightcrawler. I'd like to see a Nightcrawler standalone film and series of films. I'm a big fan of the character uh, himself, and I definitely... There is a, a particular uh, run in the graphic novels where uh, Nightcrawler gets ordained as a Roman Catholic priest, and he has a uh, outfit that has got the priest collar, mm-hmm. and he's got his little swashbuckling sword. Incredible. Dude, uh, yes. Uh, it is. It is a really rad bit of artwork. Please Google it now if you are not driving. Dear listener, um, Google it later if you are. And uh, yeah, I just I think that's fun and uh, something that was sort of you know kind of nodded to a little bit in the first X Men film. And I would just like to see more of that. Also, I would just like to see more of just Nightcrawler and his acrobatic, amazing. I want to see a swashbuckling movie. I mean, that's really what I want. Is I want an Errol Flynn film. You know, sort of uh, what I want to see in in the performance of whoever ends up playing uh, Kurt Warner, who is the uh, the Nightcrawler. Is I want to see something like Jeremy Irons as Aramis character in The Man the Iron Mask. You know, something like that swashbuckling priesty kind of stuff. Okay. And I think that would be very, very fun. And whether that, you know, um, where that takes place regarding the rest of what's going on MCU, and I know X-Men and MCU aren't exactly playing together. Yeah, but, but now Disney owns Fox. It's and, a whole thing. See, and, and you got to keep track of all these moving parts, man. And Ugh. so, but uh, but really, just Nightcrawler's a Marvel character I want in a movie. So that's yeah. how I'm playing the game right now. So that's what I want. That's my number first pick. What is your number next pick, Mr. Dalton Stewart? Uh, my number next pick is also going to wade into those very messy uh, x-men waters uh whew, it's a real stew they got over there you think you got a lot to keep track of with these damn marvel movies at least they do the decency of letting them all chronologically follow each other for the most part then you gotta go to x-men land where there's a bunch of time travel paradoxes and now it's a real clusterfuck uh but uh look we closed out uh, 2017's logan uh with a very beautiful moving image of uh his clone daughter uh Laura X-23 walking off into the sunset. Mm -hmm. Give me that movie. Give me that X-23 movie. I just knew you were going to say Wolverine raises from the dead. Well, look, they probably will at some point. One clawed hand coming out of the earth. No, give me me that X-23 movie. I want to see it. Uh, I feel like, look, we know that Disney's going to fold those uh, Fox uh, Marvel properties up into the MCU at some point. The the question is, how obnoxious is it going to be? The answer is probably incredibly uh, if they don't just do an all and out uh, continuity, just reboot. But it's just it's a frustrating nightmare. Uh, but as Dustin said, sometimes you want what you want. And I, I want more stories of of this character made to be a weapon, because I think there, there's something very interesting about that X-23 character in a way that um, the the character of Logan hasn't really had because he's you know, he's an outdoorsman. He, he was a, a chose to be a soldier got involved in this, you know, messy black ops stuff and this, you know, feels like he's being forced to pay penance for, you know, doing all these government murders. Uh, it's a very different character when you're saying this character was never supposed to be a real person. They were just supposed to be a avatar of death. 
got that real replicate thing going on from Blade Runner, don't we? Exactly, yeah. yeah. You get to play in that field of who's a person, what makes a person. You get to play in those really fun waters. And uh, it's just a cool character design. Uh, The the two claws on the, the hands and the one on the foot. Yeah, give me some of that. Mm-hmm. I want that movie. Yeah, all right. And I want. I, and I like what we were talking about so far. These these kind of like different movies, uh, less less cosmic, more road movies. Give give us more road movies, Marvel. For real, for real, for real. All right, Arthur. What is your number next pick? Uh, my next pick sees the MCU go international. We really haven't got to see that yet. Uh, we've mm-hmm. either been in space or we've been in the states. I, well, I guess With, Doctor Strange did go to. Uh, Asia, but I mean he's American. I yeah, mean, you're absolutely right, though. I mean, other than Doctor Strange and Black Panther, uh, the the MCU is firmly in North America for the most yeah, part. So I, I would really like to see uh, that kind of Guardians approach and, and bring in Excalibur. And we have this British troop who are you know fighting crime in London and England. They're you know running through the countryside doing whatever they do with their uh, castles and fish and chips, fun and, hats. Yeah, uh, but you've got this team led by you can. I think Captain Britain has to be the mainstay, but I know there's mm-hmm. been a rotating team well, uh, joining him. Yeah, Phoenix. I know. Or... I think yeah, Phoenix. I, I know Juggernaut was on the team at one point. Yeah, Megan was on there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Moira Matagret uh, shows up. So uh, there's a real rotation there, but I think you could t- take a core team uh, led by Captain Britain and just do that that thing where they're they're fighting a big bad in London. Uh, it kind of gives us a new flavor. Hey, you're already sending Spidey over to Europe, so. Uh, why not introduce Excalibur there? So here's the million-dollar question, though, Arthur. Do you want an Excalibur movie first, or do you want a Captain Britain movie first that leads up into those Avengers, in this case, assembling? I, I, no, I don't, need a, I don't need the British Avengers film. I don't need the British phase of, of the MCU. The Brit-Vengers. Yeah, I don't, I don't need five films leading up to a Excalibur team-up. I just... Just do. I mean, you did it well with Guardians. I mean, you can do it. Yeah, uh, that's not all Justice League. You can do it with you know a team. Uh, you have your heart, your core, and you just kind of build in some side characters around him. I think you could do it that way. Excellent. Okay, I like that very, very much. Um, my number next pick is I want a Hannibal King movie. Um, Hannibal King is a, a little known character. Um, he did make an appearance in Blade. Three. You are correct. Played by um, Ryan Reynolds, God's right, right. God's favorite idiot or yeah, yeah. perfect idiot or whatever, something like that. And he's a vampire hunter. You know, that's the thing. He's um, he's from Tomb of Dracula in the 1970s, uh, which is a comic series that I've been reading pretty religiously. And uh, it, I mean, it, the back issues obviously it went out of print in the 83 ish, something like that. And uh, love Tomb of Dracula anyway, love all things Dracula and vampires, see the Borgo cast, uh, for more information about that, the spinoff show. But um, yeah, I think a Hannibal King, vampire hunting, sort of, again, Castlevania, Simon Belmont kind of movie, would be lots and lots of fun. And so, uh, that, and rather than, you know, picking up a Marvel's Dracula, or picking up, again, uh, maybe another Blade movie, or something along those lines, or even like a Michael Morbius, um, the vampire by night. Uh, or the sort of not vampire vampire character that he is. Although I do like Morbius a lot, and if they, I mean, if if they was were wondering whether or not they wanted to, and they needed my vote, I would vote yes on Morbius. Uh, but that being said, uh, Hannibal King I think would be great. And again, in that sort of procedural sense, I don't know. I mean, I want a movie of it, but at the same time, Morbius would or not Morbius, Hannibal King would be great for a Netflix series. I mean, that's where you do something where you advertise it to that supernatural, you know, Bible fan fiction crowd and uh, do something like that. And I think You just called the show Supernatural Bible Fan Fiction. Well, it totally is. That's incredible. It, uh, You're not, not wrong. wrong. I know, but it's, <laughs> I've never heard that phrase, either. and it's, 
I just we couldn't let that go without it. That's incredible. Thank you for that. Good <laughs> listener, go forth, take it into the world. <laughs> yeah, all supernatural is is Bible fan fiction. That's funny. Um, Thank you for that. And so those sort of fans do that with uh, Hannibal King, and you can have some interaction with maybe some of those sort of defenders characters or whatever you wanted to do with it. Um, but definitely a standalone movie would be a great way to kick it off, and then maybe run into a series from there. So that is my number next pick. Let's go to number last, Mr. Dalton Stewart. You're first for the number last. My, f- I'm so sorry. You're gonna have to say that one more time. You're My first. what? You're I'm first. first for the number last. Yes, you wow. Are. Uh, so this is the point in the show where I have to uh, make a confession. I-, I know it seems like every. Sinner. I know. I know. I know. It seems like all of us on the show should be a bunch of real uh, nerds and know a whole bunch of stuff. And I actually know a whole lot less than uh, you would think. I like these movies. I liked the cartoons when I was a kid. I haven't really ever read a whole lot of superhero comics. I liked. Uh, I liked other. I liked Why the Last Man and uh, Transmetropolitan and Preacher. I liked. Uh, by the time I got into grownups or into comics, I wanted to read weird grownup con- comics. So I never really uh, got a feel for anything that wasn't that A and B tier list. I never got to go down into those uh, those lesser known characters. Uh, so I'm gonna go ahead and say we missed an opportunity with our street level heroes. Uh, we've already spent a lot of time uh, in those Netflix series that Dustin just alluded to, and they're all getting canceled. And uh, we never really bothered to actually try to get them to live in that uh, Marvel universe, and it bums me out. And I think uh, this Disney streaming service that's already announced some miniseries for some of the lesser MCU characters could be a place for this to live. But yeah, I want that. Uh, I want that Daredevil. Uh, I want yeah. that Punisher, and I want them in this MCU because uh, it's a missed opportunity. I, I like. Uh, these smaller scale stories you can tell when the world is not at stake. What is it like to live in this dumb MCU where existential threats are around every corner for, you know, regular people? Um, there's this whole plot line in the, the Punisher series that they just did that, uh, uh, along with Jessica Jones, look like the only Marvel series is getting another season. But there's this whole, uh, plot line about radicalized veterans and, uh, the Punisher trying to befriend one. And the fact that, there's no reference made to Captain America is just really yeah. absurd. I, I think Chris Evans and John Barenthal would be great on screen together, those two characters. They, yeah. They're the most one of the most famous heroes in this franchise is, is a World War II veteran. Yeah. How are we not talking about him in all of this? Right? Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that's a very interesting dynamic. Uh give me the sto- the fact that uh the character of the Punisher uh, in the MCU isn't super into Captain America is kind of absurd, right? Mm-hmm. You would think this guy that like enlisted in the Marines by by choice clearly probably isn't kept like every kid that grows up wanting to be in the ar- army in the MCU's like continuity has to be in the Captain well, he's America, be right? Worse than he's got to have like all the cards in his locker. Exactly. Yeah. So that's that's what I want. Just take another swing at the street level heroes. I don't know enough of them to say, but I, I think it's like Excelsior, Arthur or Excalibur rather. I think you just skip to the team up. You don't don't need four or five different shows. Just be like, this is what it's like to uh, be a hero in in Queens, uh, and you know that the, the ledge of fold in Spider Man. This is what it's like to be a hero in Staten Island. Just give me like a movie about to the street level borough. Uh, superheroes or a, I think that works better as a TV show honestly but that's that's where we're heading with uh, Disney deciding they want to be Netflix I guess so my final pick street level MCU stuff very good very good what is your number last pick Mr. Arthur Gordon my final pick is She-Hulk uh, Jessica Walters or Jennifer mm. Walters yes. uh, Jessica Walters I believe is someone completely different that is somebody completely uh, different but uh, Jennifer Walters uh, the, the cousin of Bruce Banner who is 
you know, given this Hulk uh, uh, ability through a blood transfusion. She was a massive part of my sexual awakening. Uh, that's not surprising in yeah, the slightest. Not, no. uh, but, I mean, honestly, honest to God, I just want the MCU courtroom drama. I just want yeah. uh, this subdued, simplified, it's a courtroom drama. You're trying to bring down, you know, Kingpin's already MCU. Maybe she's taking down Kingpin. I don't know. But it is just this courtroom drama, and, you know, there Very are... Very tall green woman. Yeah. And there are, you know, some uh, some baddies sent on her to try to bring her down. Uh, one court is not in session. Uh, but she overcomes those odds, shows up to court, and uh, puts the bad guy away. Uh, and, uh, you know, justice prevails. Um, yeah. I, I think you could have a lot of fun with it. I, I think a lot it. of humor uh, could be there. Uh, but, yeah... Let's you know we're, we're finally getting to the point where we have uh, some female-led films. We're getting Captain Marvel. We're supposed to be getting Black Widow. There's you know been uh, rumor and talk of hopefully doing some sort of female team up, and I think you can bring bring She-Hulk in and round out that team. I think it's perfect, and I don't know if you guys know this uh, made for TV, one of the incredible Hulk made for TV movies, but there's a Daredevil Hulk crossover. Yeah, in all that, and Daredevil is Bill Bixby Hulk's lawyer. And so to put Daredevil and She-Hulk together yes. in a yeah. situation yes. like that would oh, be yeah. very rad. Um, that movie's also very fun. John Reese davy plays a uh, uh, kingpin. And awesome. Yeah. yeah. It, that sounds incredible. It, it's not, He's got these crazy sunglasses that are very, very 80s, even though it's, I think it's later than that, technically, as a film. But That's uh, incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all about that. That sounds like a great idea, Arthur. Oh, I guess it's me now, huh? Yeah, bring us home, buddy. That's um, the way it goes. My number last pick is not a surprise to anyone and apparently has just been greenlighted in the last week, and that is Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu. Uh, love that character. I mean, I love all things martial arts. been reading this comic a lot because I'm working on a dissertation about uh, the Americanization of the martial arts genre and of uh, Bruce Lee in particular. And uh, so, yeah, he's a Bruce Lee lookalike. He's very much secret agent man kind of thing. He is the son of Fu Manchu, who is a very, very scary bad guy and uh but i would just like to see that real full-out martial arts film treatment we tried to do that with iron fist and frankly we just casted poorly and then we scripted even more poorly uh with that whole series and uh, just it was it was just a fumble from beginning to end frankly um though uh there are parts of it that i do find redeemable and interesting did you watch that second season they did i watched about a third of it i kept hearing people saying they liked it I'd i never I, bothered with it it was better it was it was getting better okay but it was also getting long yeah and so it's a lot of television and then that's just where it came down for me and it already had been let down so i just wasn't as invested to go ahead and go forward with it can't say to blame um, you i haven't watched anything after uh Defenders and Punisher. It's just like, this is too much. There's so much. I don't have time for it. But yeah, Shang-Chi, I want to see that. I want to see it so bad, and uh, I'm all about that. Um, I don't know who I'd want to cast as it, you know, um, as Shang-Chi. I don't know what... Uh, Tony Jaa. I don't, I don't want that job. Yeah, but... Um, Whatever you want to do, you know that's that's what I would say. And I really hope they go hardcore wuxia with it, um, but I don't know if they will or not because it, we tend to go that more um, Paul Greengrass, um, Krav Maga. Is and stuff. is Donnie Yen too old? It, Donnie Yen probably is too old. I don't, do we care? <laughs> I don't know that I care. Yeah, I but um, Donnie Yen might be. A little this old. feels like the uh, the opportunity to be a, do a big open casting call though, right? Yeah, I feel like that's that's what they're going to have to do with this, and, and then bring a new guy in. I mean, that's yeah. fine. I mean, there's uh, sometimes a new upstart can really really take it over and do yeah, something. Absolutely. In, so there's lots of potentials out there, and so we'll just have to see. Uh, Chris Hemsworth was a nobody when I he was got Thor. Say, that that first round, I mean, Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth. I mean, those weren't. 
Yeah. Household names. And I do want to mention my one honorable mention of a, a series that's already booted, but I just want to say I want this particular beat in mm-hmm. a series, and that is a Thor series. There is a moment where Asgard has to be moved from where Asgard uh-huh. is, and it gets moved to Broxton, Oklahoma. Yes, it does. And... Yeah, and I grew up not very far from Broxton, and I want that so bad. Southwest Oklahoma Thor sounds like so much. It sounds fun. like some some real American god stuff. Oh yeah, just get, get that that mix mash of Norse mythology and the Southwest, but in that sort of less serious than Americans' gods. Yes, and I'm okay with a that. much sillier tone, and I'm I'm all for it. Yeah, so please give me that, and um, you know, I want him to call prairie dogs rabbit, and uh, because I think he definitely would. He um, just calls all furry animals. Rabbit. It's a good rabbit. rabbit. It's, it's rabbit's furry because it must be a rabbit. Yeah. So I'm um, speaking of Thor calling things all the wrong things and all words being made up. I think now it's time to get down to business. That's right. We're going to make up uh, words with analysis right now in this time for business. That Here we go. Yeah. This, is the, this is the moment we've all been waiting for. I'm pretty excited. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> We're actually going to make deep cuts so that you have to listen to all 290 plus episodes to uh, get the analysis for this week. Oh, yeah. All of our analyses will be references to older shows. That's all we're going to do. So I think, you know, points. the points I'd like to make are episode 300. <laughs> Episode 278, episode 4, yeah. and episode 63. One of those episodes yeah. you just ma- mentioned has not it, been made yet, well, so... It's in the MCU, so the future doesn't even matter. I've got, I've got the time stone. Yeah, we're in the endgame yeah, now. characters <laughs> in uh, Infinity War that ain't even got movies yet, so, uh, you know, it's what it is. It's buck wild. Um, so just yeah. say your numbers and we'll be done. Okay. All right, well, I definitely want to bring up episodes 1 through 10. You got... That's important. It's important <laughs> groundwork. And then you can probably skip a couple, but then you got to come back in for 20 through at least 50. Okay. Well. Uh, I- I'm asking a lot. I want you to watch the TV shows, too. <laughs> oh, watch my. all the spin- you gotta listen to all the People's History of Film to really get you, Dalton's character. You have to listen to the entire People's History of Film. You're yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, and the, and the cast beyond the wall, uh, even though we have nothing to do with that. I was only on, like, one episode of that, but you got to listen to the whole thing. All, yeah. Every single It all ties them. in. It all... This is the road to Endgame. Yeah. <laughs> you got to go find the uh, little, uh, the hard to find uh, podcast about the second season of True Detective that Caleb Masters and I did. Mm-hmm. That's way right. I forgot about. Yeah. Oh, didn't you do one uh, that uh, the... strain? Did you do a strain? I podcast? did a strain show with him. Yeah, we did the first uh, two seasons of. The You're strain. gonna have to go listen to that. So wow. yeah, Arthur, what's what's the required listening for for anybody who wants to get into your analysis? Uh, uh, for me, I, I guess uh, back to the movies and uh, cast who knew too much. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. You got to definitely know the Hitchcock to really understand so, what we're saying. Pause this. We'll be right here. You can go fill out the the blanks in your character and sheets. We'll see you next year. And we'll be we'll be back in a little bit. All right, let's talk with the stupid. Thanos will return. Was my favorite thing. <laughs> it's incredible. It's a great beat. Let's talk. Let's talk structure. Let's let's okay. Talk. Indeed, let's we've talk alluded structure. to some of the structure stuff in our reviews. I think. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I I guess the big question we're going to try to flesh out is: Has this experiment worked? And and what does that look like? But look, look at this film. I mean, we're talking twenty movies. Yes, <laughs> that is roughly forty to fifty hours of viewing required viewing to uh, really uh, get the full impact of this film. And no film should ask you to watch Thor The Dark World or Iron Man 2. That's a lot for any film to yeah. ask of you. And, and what I was really thinking about, you know, and, and I mentioned this, the structure of this film, this this really plays out. I mean, the the, the, the fir- these phases, phase one, two, and three, really play out like a three-act film. 
they play as you've got those beats. You've got uh, if you look back to the first Avengers film, that's really the break. Literally, is the break into Act Two. That's the break into two, mm-hmm. and then we've got all of that kind of development through. And, and, and really, what Avengers here does is at, at the turn of Act Three, um, uh, Infinity War plays as uh, mostly fun and games. It is it is what you've been wanting from this film. It is what you've been wanting from the MCU. It's to see all of this thrown on a wall and see how it comes together. Now, Arthur's referring to some terms for beats in screenplay writing. Yes. So you know, why don't you just lay that out real yeah, quick as, for the dear As developed by Save the Cat, uh, yeah. the, the famous uh, screenwriting Very guide. Famous. I would say infamous at this point. Yes, yeah. uh, which kind of chronicles this is how you put together a money-making four-quadrant film. You, you follow these beats, and you've got, you know, you've got your... Uh, theme stated, which is kind of what's the point of this movie, and you've got your break into two, which is where the film takes its first kind of act break. It structures all films into a three-act structure. Uh, you've got your midpoint, which is essentially the middle of the movie, which where all the action kind of goes, starts going the other direction, going uh, downhill. Um, you know, you've got your night, uh, the dark just before the day, uh, yeah. which is kind of the the final breaking point of your character, where you lead into act three and you go into that final conclusion. And there's, I think there's 15 or 20 different beats that are really laid out in this outline that he uh, he has developed. And the term four quadrant means every demographic is Correct. what that means. So just again, dear listener, to keep you up in case you know we're getting we're gonna we're gonna be terminology heavy anyway this this particular episode. I'm afraid, so want to keep you yes, the, keep the, the least analytical film is going to have the most terminology. We're going to keep you up as much as we can. Um, well, because we're we're entertaining that like dumb business speak. That uh, sometimes gets used to discuss like film structures, uh, and it's that if ever there was a film for us to talk about the dumb business speak of movies, this was the one, right? This one made some money. Um, it, it made some money. Um, but yeah, it, it it really does serve that. Which the funny games element is is this is what's on the poster, it's what's in the trailer, it's the action set pieces, it's what you've come to to the movie, it's what you've paid to see. That's the fun and games of the film, and that's really what Infinity War is, and it, and it really ends. Uh, just like in the beats, it ends on the the darkest just before the day, right? We we end with that snap, uh, and the entire MCU is shifted. Now, what do we do? Uh, which is really the lead into the final act in Act Three, and which is what Endgame will, uh, you know, fulfill. It'll show us the conclusion. We'll see how our characters can come back uh, to uh, defeat this foe if they can, which they will. Um, I've already read the comics. Yeah, I guess yes, okay. I've already seen that all the sequels have been greenlit and are in production. Um, so, uh, I I just think it's interesting because I, I I you know we talked about I've I've recognized a serialized drama, but I've never considered these first three phases to be an overarching movie. I mean, but they play as mm-hmm. one film. I think that's totally fair, Arthur. Especially all of the character stuff with uh, Robert Downey Jr. who having the uh, the biggest uh, price tag on his name gets really the majority of the screen time uh, of any single character in this movie he gets I think it's probably fair. he gets a lot to do um and this film is all epilogue for him his his character stuff is done like they they did his three movies this has all been epilogue since uh, captain america 3 for him and the fact that robert Downey jr has like consistently gotten himself into these movies uh his third movie's done and does another Avengers movie, another two Avengers movies, a Spider-Man movie, and a Captain America movie. And, yeah, I mean, it, his character is resolved and is, like, assisting other people in finalizing their the third act of their character arc, which is really 
just a strange thing to do uh, to have a main character who is essentially in the epilogue of their novel, which I, I think is just kind of an interesting way to look at each of these characters. Uh, because you're you're right, Arthur. It it doesn't function as its own thing. It functions as an addendum to a bunch of other movies. Um, and I feel like that becomes the most troubling when it comes down to character stuff, uh, because you have to have seen a bunch of, at least two other movies to give a shit about this new Spider-Man and his relationship with Tony Stark, which is a huge, like crux of this movie. Ditto for, uh, Chris Pratt and Zoe Saldana exchanging. I love you's when, uh, Gamora gets kidnapped. If you Mm -hmm. haven't seen the other two guardians movies, that means nothing. Uh, but if you've seen two movies worth of them, like beating around the bush about whether or not they like each other, it's a big moment. Yeah. And uh, I, I think you're absolutely right to uh, start not talking about these just as a serialized narrative, Arthur, but as a kind of large Lord of the Rings-like super movie. I think that's an interesting path to take talking about it. So have we crossed the point structurally um, where these three films, these three Avengers movies, have moved from being individual issues in a comic book box to graphic novels of a sort of a assembled sort of art narrative is it because that is sort of the transition i think I so about. yeah I, th- I think maybe you're right yeah we've we've moved into the long form each each phase is a trade paperback yeah yeah and uh, if that's the case you know what we can maybe anticipate then is single directors sort of being bonded to characters and we have sort of like the run of you know Whatever Christopher yeah, Nolan, like if he Alan Moore's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they uh, James Gunn was going to be the first director that they held for a full trilogy of uh, of you know solo yeah. movies, but uh, well, we all know how that went. Yeah. So, so yeah, but I, uh, I mean, I, the Russos. I mean, they've gotten there all the. Well, yeah. No, they didn't do the first cap. They did the first two caps, uh, or the second, second two, two caps, yeah. and then the, the final two Avengers, Avengers movies. But yeah, I mean, I, I think we've Derrickson's back to do Doctor Strange too. Um, Ryan Coogler's back for Black Panther too, so maybe it, it does seem like we are heading Moving into that. that yeah. yeah, there being more uh, stated authorship outside of Kevin Feige for for some of these solo movies, which is I think an interesting way to sort of think about authorship now and auteurship because as comics began to move, you know, there there are times in which these characters are properties owned by corporations. And that they are, the, you know, there's always going to be some corporate management about what can be done and what cannot be done with the character and what's respectful and what's not respectful. There's very famously a story that Neil Gaiman talks about um, where uh, he's uh, wanting to put Superman in one of the uh, moments in the uh, Sandman series. And uh, he wants to have uh, Superman to be having this anxiety dream that his cape keeps falling out of the back of his shirt and people will see that he's Superman, you know, which is the, the thing that we all do, you know. Like, That's very funny. You, know, you have a test and you don't know what room to go into. It's the same kind of thing, yeah. right? And uh, but they would let him do it. Um, boo! I know, boo. But nonetheless, that we have something like that. But then we're going to, you know, the way in which we can recycle and change the actors is perhaps what we can have there. Because you do see that if you look at the artwork of a particular character, they do change over time. Yeah, the, their look, uh, their costumes are always revamped. And I mean, we'd have revamps from costume to costume anyway. Um, in this particular series, hey, since two thousand and eight, the way they draw Tony Stark. Is to a he lot. They they've started to adjust slowly yeah. but surely to make the characters look more like their on screen counterparts. And I, so what I'm thinking is that you can do that, and then when you switch directors, is when you can switch actors, and we can start treating this like this is just a different set of 
you know, Black Panther stories. This is just a different set yeah. of Iron Man stories. It's a different set of Thor stories or whatever it is that we're dealing with. And these meetings are clearly taking place, but I think uh, I, I'm I'm with you, Dustin. I'm curious to see how it plays out yeah. because it's almost as interesting as anything else that we've gotten so far with this this superstructure that is this franchise. And so you know, and that, that it's a different kind of auteurship because then you have to you don't look at like the auteurship of like, Kenneth Branagh's you know sort of one foray into the Thorverse, right? Uh, you're thinking, okay, so we're going to have the Branagh run. We're not going to because uh, Dark World did so badly. Um, in the well, he, Alan he Taylor, did yeah, mm-hmm. he didn't do Dark World. They uh, oh, which one did he do? They had Patty Jenkins. He did the first one. The first one, and is then that what... yeah, they had Patty Jenkins who uh, okay, I get him confused. Left to go do Wonder Woman, and then they brought in Alan Taylor from uh, Game of Thrones to do two. But yeah, uh... Branagh just got that first one. That's I think that's been a big part of the problem, especially with those Thor movies. Is nobody could figure out like what kind of movie it, w- it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Everybody, they were trying different. Should it be this fish out of water, like uh, Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court, but reversed? And then they were like, okay, maybe we'll do a big like dark fantasy movie. And uh, it, it was space comedy <laughs> was what finally ended up being the thing space they needed. Space road trip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, but I, I think I think that would be interesting, Dustin, to see more and more uh, director, writer, actor, you know, production team combos keep prop- cropping up for this run of the, the Ryan Coogler Black Panther. I mean, just like yeah. the, these are the people that are, you know, the team that's worked with him forever. This is who makes the Black Panther movies until Chadwick Boseman decides to retire and right. they, you know, temporarily kill his character to bring him back looking slightly different. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is, I'm very curious how they're going to, to continue this. I think this is a good place. Arthur, you've already mentioned uh, green lighted sequels. Uh, so I think this is a good time to bring up stakes and yeah. suspension of disbelief. Uh, because this is a film that, uh, you know, I, I joked around about uh, the MCU having Shakespearean qualities, but I'm not really kidding that much. This is all about power struggles and royal families. Palace and, intrigue, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you've got uh, the daughters that want to kill their evil father, and they've got to explain to everybody how evil their dad is. It's, yeah, I mean, it's it's writ large all over it. So when bodies start dropping like the fifth act of a Shakespeare play, does it work for you guys? Because we already know that a lot of these characters are coming back for greenlit sequels. Can you put that business intrigue that Marvel asks you to know about out of your mind and enjoy the the last act of this movie? I mean, the whole thing has its own built-in reset button anyway. We're talking about the infinite power gauntlet. Yeah. Right? So... If the guy with the infinite power gauntlet does anything, whenever we get it back from him, when we cut his hand off from, because that's what's going to happen, uh, probably. I mean, yeah. I, anyway, it seems like it's being hinted at with a hand chopping off in a, of a particular character uh, by uh, Doctor Strange and uh, Benedict Wong. Um, but anyway, wait, who gets her hand cut off? Uh, some one of the uh, one of the one of the children of Thanos. Remember, oh. they do the portal thing. That's right. Yeah, yeah. they're going to figure out some way to ha- hack his arm off. I mean, that's what's going to happen. You're right. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I guess I assume. But whenever that happens, you know, when Ad- when whoever's not Adam Warlock puts it on, they're going to hit the reset button. It's probably going to be uh, Nebula. You think it's, gonna it's be been Nebula? Nebula before in another run? I do know that. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, I mean. Yes, the movie even has a reset button in it. Yeah. But, but putting that aside, I, the question stands, when people start turning into dust, does the movie sell it? I don't care. I, don't, I, I think it is. I think it comes off well done. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, knowing what... Uh, and here's the thing. I mean, you've got two types of movie goes. You've got the casual audience, who it probably does work really well for because mm-hmm. they don't follow the production. I mean, you got the but you've got the people who do follow production who... I, I know they're doing a sequel, 
because they've already greenlit it and they've already got everything cast. Like, what are they going to do? I mean, I mean, there's always, you know, the idea that th- this is all for show and they are you're going to pull the rug. But I, I know Doctor Strange is coming back. I know Black Panther is coming back. I, I know the Guardians are coming back. And so, I, for me, the, the stakes aren't there. They've never been there. This is the biggest struggle of the MCU. They've never been able to raise the stakes. They should have shot Captain America, you know, in Civil War. You you, you pull that trigger, you know, literally, and uh, I think you raise the stakes because now I don't know what's going to happen. But I know what's going to happen because all of this stuff is laid out. And, and for me, it didn't have that effect that it had, I think, on a lot of viewers. Um, you know, the, I think the team sells it. I think Iron Man, you know, Tony Stark sells it really well. Mm-hmm. I think Downey sells it really well, I should say. I, I, I think, you know... Uh, when when Cheadle's walking through the forest, you know, looking for Sam, I, I think yeah. he sells it very well. Uh, and so I think it's a well done. But a, as a viewer who's kind of got this understanding of what's going to happen next, it, it, it never really works for me in that way. And so I, I, I think it's somewhat successful, but not my, you know, I, I can suspend my disbelief so far. I, I, you know, there are the two theories, you know, the people who are actually killed are going to stay dead. But no. it's a comic book film, so... You know, well, and I, I watch it as a person who watches movies, you know, and I cannot not be myself. And so for me, that moment is just, oh, so this is who we're not bringing back for the sequel. I mean, this is who they couldn't, you know, negotiate contracts yeah. with. I mean, I my brain immediately goes to, you know, what what happened with the lawyers. That's what I'm thinking about at that moment. Like, oh, they couldn't pay enough money for this person. They they needed to cut somewhere here, and because this person yeah. was gone, they don't need this person anymore, so they're going to leave their amount. And well, and then it's like very quickly you take stock and go, wait a second, the only people who didn't get dusted are the people that were in the first Avengers movie. Uh, yeah. Okay, so that's that's why most of them didn't have a whole lot of time in this movie. They they let uh, the people who were uh, n- newbies get all the screen time for part one. Yeah, yeah. It, it's hard not to. I think for me, I'm, I'm with Arthur. I think the actors sell it well enough. Uh, Chris Evans uh, does, I think, the best showing Bucky as the first one. I think that's great. But again, this comes back to that asks you to have seen Captain America 2 and 3 and like give a shit about this relationship because otherwise those two have spent next to no screen time with each other in the course of the actual movie Infinity War. And so if you are bought in on character relationships, yeah, I I think the acting really sells it. But... uh, that's a big ask, and uh, I like it. I I I don't feel good, Mister Stark. Uh, mm. Yeah, I get you. That'll choke you up. But yeah, I think you guys are right. It's very. It's a a fleeting sweet. It's a it's a candy that uh, dissipates very quickly. Well, here's the thing. Uh, I also wanted to talk about one of the things you know that Andre Bazan and everyone talks about the plasticity of the art, you know, of film and how it's so malleable and how you can do so much with it. But I'm wondering that this particular form of filmmaking is become um, a bit more fossilized. That I don't know if you can keep doing Iron Man once Robert Downey Jr. quits. I don't know that you can do Captain America without a Chris Evans. I, you know, I, there there's a way in which Scarlett Johansson is the only Black Widow there ever will be, and uh, and so I don't think they can get into that sort of James Bond, Man of a Thousand Faces sort of territory. I think, well, I, 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 you know, going outside the MCU real quick, I mean, Wolverine's kind of been the big question. Right? I mean, Hugh Jackman's played that character for you know nearly twenty years. You know, how do you replace that? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not. I did it for one movie. You know, we've had two Warhammers uh, or War Machines. You know, we had we had Terrence Howard, then we had Don Cheadle, but that was so long ago. No one probably even remembers that Terrence Howard was in the MCU. I mean, Chris Evans was um, the, the the Human Torch for the Fantastic Four. Yeah. yeah, like those those things kind of pre 
pre-MCU, post-MCU, but I, I don't. But I mean, looking at the comics, I mean, there aren't. I don't. I'm sure somebody else has put on the armor, but I don't know that there's been another Iron Man anyway. I mean, but uh, there's that's a very new thing. Kiki, yeah. I think, is her name. Yeah, uh, yeah. I but, know there's a run where there's several female. You know, there's a female Thor. I think Jane took yep. over the the mantle. But is that what you do? You do a new character that is now the new Iron Man. Someone else. I think that's the another. way it works. I mean, I think Sam or Bucky will pick up. I mean, I think they that's both the natural. Have, yeah. yeah, they've both been Captain America in the comics, and I think either one of them could. And I think, you know, uh, so at you this have point, to continue in continuity. You can't just say this is our new Steve Rogers. You know, he's slightly shorter, and um, you know, his no, nose looks. I different. don't think you. I, don't know that you can replace the actor now. I don't know if you, you know, I think, if we came yeah. back for Endgame and somehow uh, Chris Pine was now Captain America. I mean, yeah, that's cool, but It'd be very jarring. Yeah, it would be. It, it's. Uh, I'm really thinking more like Captain America Four, that the after Endgame and that this is this is who's playing Cap now. I, I think I think you were right in calling your shot, Dustin. That it's not like James Bond. It's not that easily malleable. And I think Arthur's right. I think the the path to take is the new character having the mantle because again i mean I'm, as i alluded to and with uh, the totally awesome hulk uh i think it was the new avengers or the young avengers i mean there's a, been several runs in marvel for the last couple of years apparently i haven't read any of these i just kind of keep my eye on it but where they're basically test piloting the idea of having a uh, younger heroes take on the mantle uh, of older heroes who've retired or something mm-hmm. um now they've gone and reversed a lot of those but I, it does seem like they're using the comics to test pilot what they're going to do with the MCU at this point. I, I think the big thing, too, is, you know, I mean, what works so well for James Bond is it was, I mean, all those films are standalone. So, I mean, it wasn't necessarily relying on, you know, if we'd come back from, you know, Skyfall and, you know, Spectre was now, you know, somebody else, it would be a little jarring. Um, but I, I think if you go from Endgame and we get Captain America 4, uh, I, I think you have to play it one of two ways. I think you have somebody else just take up the mantle, or I think you have to somehow change the game so that it becomes a standalone, separate thing. Like I think you would have to disconnect the ties to the first three phases altogether to bring in another actor. You know, it's another timeline, or it's been twenty years, and so do we whatever. go back to telling the same origin stories again? The Spider-Man treatment. The uh... well, the Batman. <laughs> I mean, Batman yeah. is what you do. You know. Yeah. I mean, that's always been the go-to in comics. I mean, Batman and Spider-Man, right? I mean, Spider-Man, we had a fourth film within 10 years of, you know, within just a few years of Spider-Man 3, and and we get another origin story. We don't need, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the truth. I don't know. Yeah, I think Marvel uh, did a great job of uh, folding in Spider-Man and knowing uh, what Zack Snyder didn't know, which was, you know, we can skip this part. We've we've had Spider-Man very recently. We don't. Three characters that everybody knows. Yep. We all know Superman. We all know Batman. We all know Spider-Man. It's just kind of, uh, yeah, it's a cultural shorthand at this yeah. point. And I think they were smart in knowing that and saying, well, we can just go ahead and introduce him in another movie. And uh, we'll get to him talking about his sad uncle shit later on. Um, and maybe, yeah, I think that's the way to do it. Uh, it's an interesting question. And I, I think the only reason it bears mentioning when talking about Infinity War is because it's a film that makes you think about those questions because it is a film being marketed as the end of an era. And when you market a film that way, you can't help but ask your audience to go, well, what are you going to do next? Because we know you're not going to stop. So it's a, it's weird ground to be, to be sitting on. I would assume, you know, I, I, I that those mantles are going to be retired for a while. You know, I yeah. think, you know, Iron Man cap. I don't know. They want Thor. that money. I don't think they need them to make that money. 
Yeah, well, maybe not. I, I mean, I agree. I'm with Arthur look, at this point. Look they can at Black Panther. I mean, it's a lesser known character, and it's it, about playing to your audience now. I mean, yep. I expect Captain Marvel to make money. Black Panther made money because they're starting to tap into those minority audiences, and it's the smart business move to make. Because, I mean, and that's what it is. You know, nobody made that movie like, hey. This demographic needs a movie. They said, "Hey, it's not altruistic reasons." Yeah, yeah. No. it's it's and and I think that's the thing. They've Marvel has a stable of of characters that they could make these movies. I mean, the big well, success. Yeah, your is, entire imagination is trademarked by by basically yeah. Disney. Yeah, so so I, I I what I would foresee is like we retire those Phase One characters for a while, except for maybe you know, I think Black Widow will get her movie. Hawkeye could, you know, those minor characters, but those big marquee names I think are going to get the. Uh, get shelved for a while then we'll probably see a cameo like in avengers 10 or what or you know we it'll we turn out they've been avengers i mean yeah they've been somewhere else that's not the thing. dead even the avengers itself isn't a name you need to keep because you could go with the new avengers and just reset the team or you could go mm-hmm. with the west coast avengers and reset the team you know so i i i i'm look <laughs> there's 20 movies yes i am both exhausted and yet uh, very excited to see what happens because as as a film experiment, I, I think it's been fascinating because we haven't seen anything on the scope. And as Dalton mentioned, it 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 has kind of changed the game. I mean, you know, now other studios are trying to create their CU. There, you know, we've got the DCCEU and we've had the <laughs> short-lived uh, Universal Monsters cinematic. R.I.P. Yeah. Dark Universe. <laughs> yeah, too bad. Um, it, what Marvel has done is really, for the for the worse, I think, has kind of shifted the game into we have to have these connected universes. And no, not not every you know, it, if the story warrants it, sure. But I don't need every movie to exist in in, in the same universe. It's I mean, exhausting. I don't yeah. want it. Yeah, I, I don't think I do. Either. You know, I don't need some Stephen King universe. I don't need some. I don't know. I mean, even the Star Wars universe. I don't. I don't need it. I don't need the spinoff movies. I no. really don't. I, I mean, thought I wanted if them. If you want the spinoff movies, don't tie them to the originals. That's the that's yeah. the key. Yeah. Yeah. Set movies in this world, but I don't. They don't need to. I mean, they don't have to be Skywalker. They don't have to be Solo. Increasing the continuity will only serve to do what it did to comic books, which is frustrate people and make them stop giving a shit. And I then, mean, I love a good crossover. Let's but let's just do the crossover again, standalone, and just move on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, what else we got? Well, here's the thing I've been thinking about a little bit, just in terms of, you know, there's been a lot of writing, and this is sort of like this moment right now in film, and I, I want to push back, because, um, and then I have another point about Shakespearean stuff, so don't let me forget to say that um, later, Dalton. That's your job now. Shakespeare later. Well, we can talk about the shakes. Okay, so, but before shakes, I want to get to Theodore Adorno, um, as one does. Um, Frankfurt School and uh, critical theory and what happens with commercially mass-produced art and what it is that we're doing right now. Um, Because Adorno has some certain um, fears of all mass-produced art. And there's been a lot of writing lately about this uh, series of films or this cycle of films and a whole lot of these sort of, again, serialized trilogies and sometimes longer, uh, Harry Potter being, you know, eight movies long or your... uh, 
uh, whatever that uh, Katniss show is with the Hunger Games. Yeah, Hunger Games with the bows and the arrows. Yeah, yeah, and the bird thing that's not a bird. Um, it's a mocking jay, which is not a real bird. It's fake. Bird. We're just gonna let you keep talking because okay. listening to you try and <laughs> describe, think, think about y- that, young that, things that is that good I that I don't care about. But yeah. okay, all of that stuff, right? Yes, and that there is in these again very highly franchised, very very highly sort of uh, superintended in terms of their marketing, and superintended in terms of their, uh, superintended in terms of their production, their direction. You know, selections and casting, all that sort of stuff, that there's been this very, very sort of resistance oriented, this sort of anti authoritarian, sort of uh, very, very um, liberating sort of impulse that's been informing all of that. Um, right? That, that, I mean, that's the sort of general observation that seems to be running around in the uh, sort of critical literature right now. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it predates uh, our current uh, political climate, but especially, I think even outside of real big movies over the last three years, especially it's Mm -hmm. been increasing ever so much. Right. And uh, so there's, there's all of that going on and you know, I'm fun for that. I mean, authoritarian is bad and um, I'm not a fan and most people don't say, yeah, you know what? I would like some more, some more authoritarianism, please. Um, You know, you don't get a lot of that most of the time uh, from folks. Although Zizek makes an interesting argument about that in his, his great book, In Defense of Lost Causes. I recommend it um, because he defends uh, the 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 uh, the what the Red Terror. What's the name of the terror uh, in, during the French Revolution? The Reign of Terror. What is it called? I know what you're talking about. It's a movie podcast, not a history podcast. Anyway, yeah. uh, so. Uh... But uh, that particular, whatever sort of terror it was, it had an adjective uh, before that. Um, anyway, he defends that, so that's an interesting um, idea. But there is still, according to Adorno, always going to be this fascistic, and for Adorno, capitalism itself renders fascism. Like That is sort of the thing that moves into that particular mode. It, ro- it moves itself into authoritarianism because it, as its very nature, becomes a thing that speaks to so many minds that it becomes a form of groupthink and of mind control, and that is how uh, popular consciences, um, consciences are uh, ensnared and sort of controlled, right? I think that's a very good point. I think this is definitely a good movie to be talking about that with yeah. right because this is a two billion dollar earning movie that is setting itself up as modern mythology mm. I and mean, we've talked a little bit about that today we've talked about it on this show in reference to the mcu before and superheroes at large a lot of interesting philosophical and uh, analytical discourses about superheroes as you know uh, greek norse egyptian guys functioning in that same form of mythologies absolutely yeah. uh because look their gods are fun because they fight monsters mm-hmm. i mean it's cool and uh to to think about uh the the ultimate gods of pop cultural capitalist art you get none better than the comic book movies owned by disney right. so i think bringing in adorno to talk about what does this mean when we have this largely popular uh quasi theological mythological franchise i think adorno's a good person to bring up to talk well, about this and here's the thing that that really begins to trouble me about this is mm-hmm. that yes i you it does want to sort of you know resist and say no and you know do your own thing and be you and be yourself and mm-hmm. all these other sort of neoliberal sort of basic kind of values well i, I you could even go as far as to say classically liberal yeah classically liberal, like 17th century time yeah. liberal right absolutely yeah absolutely yeah um, which is again the uh, the moment that gave rise to uh, 
uh, contemporary capitalism, which is now given rise to late capitalism. Um, so that's all happening there. But at the same time, and I think about that debate of uh, Civil War, mm-hmm. I think about sort of the issues that are even surrounding some of those X-Men movies, is that we still want to have either messiahs in these sort of stories, you know, the one leader who can save us all and lead us to do the thing that we just get, and we have to follow them faithfully and loyally, you know, um, whatever that Fuhrer may look like. And then we, or that there's the idea of there just needs to be a center of power. And if you're not doing anything wrong, you don't have to be afraid of the people with all that kind of power. Well, I, I would make the opposite argument, though. I think this film sets up uh, there needs to be a power to fight against. Right. Uh, it has to create something to to make all of these, you know, Norse gods and talking raccoons and trees and uh, cryogenically frozen World War II vets with metal arms. It has to give them all something to fight. And it's, you know, purple Josh Brolin. Right. But but you need to centralize that power because the people who are suffering on the streets, they can't do it. But we've got to have this team. We've got yeah. to have okay. this group of people who can listen to every one of our conversations, who can wage wars in uh, foreign places very far away in names uh, of said places that we cannot pronounce. Right. Near Fendelf and Zelf and whatever, where you build. Nivedelir. Whatever. All words are made up. Big axes. Um, sweet axes. Sweet metal axes. Sweet lightning fire axes. Yeah, give me one of them, please. <sighs> anyway. But it, it, it does seem to me that it does have that impulse, despite mm-hmm. those desires to uh, defend it. And one of my instructors um, uh, at Oklahoma State once said to me, uh, in class, and I thought it was really, really brilliant. I think I may have said it on the show before that what we see is that neoliberalism does, by its very nature, give in to fascism, or it gets gets beaten by fascism. But fascism always ends up getting beaten by some form of socialism, which ends up getting beaten by some form of neoliberalism, which gets beaten by some form of fascism, and so that's the one of the cyclical things that we find ourselves in, and that these films continue. Um, and I, I would. I would say that there's a real ideologically troubling thing that's going on with this trademarked imagination uh, set of stories that even though they do nod to, again, neoliberal or classically liberal kind of values, that there's always at their heart this idea that you need to spend more and more money. On our stuff. On our stuff. You know, keep feeding the capitalist machine and that we, we see that you're doing this and we're training you to do this and just to keep paying in for this, you know, entertainment that we're giving you. And at the same time, there is within that because we are the powerful who provide you these stories and you need to trust us to superintend your stories in the case of Disney, which are stories about how we need to trust these powerful forces to superintend the safety and security of our lives, which sounds very much like just a continuing cycle of that connected neoliberal capitalism and fascism um, uh, continuum that we found ourselves on. And I want to argue with Dustin, but he's not wrong. I mean, on the one hand, you've got this run of movies, right? Uh, All the way, we'll start at Infinity War, a movie about uh, an authoritarian eco-terrorist who Mm -hmm. thinks he knows what's best for everybody. Then you go back to uh, Black Panther, which is a movie all about isolationism and how that's just not a good foreign policy for any nation because we're all beholden to one another. And then you go back to Ragnarok, which, uh, which is Taika Waititi's movie about fantasy colonialism. And then you go back to Spider-Man, and that's a movie all about how 
poor people get taken advantage of by uh, government contracts and uh, private contractors coming in and taking those. Uh, I mean, on and on, these last like six movies all have these larger themes that are really kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. They're actually playing in th- theoretically fun spaces. Uh, but at the same time, as Arthur pointed out, they're also doing their best to make sure that every group is represented, which is not, a, again, we've we kind of sang, sung the praises of uh, Fast Five on this this show, because it has become this, you know, multi-ethnic, pan-national, kind of wonderful cast of uh, stars that doesn't really look like any other cast of stars because everybody looks different. Uh, and the more the Marvel movies move towards that, the better the world will be. But at the same time, it just means Disney's making more money mm-hmm. because they're not, they're like, we'll make, yeah, we'll make a movie that we don't care if it doesn't do well in certain parts of the world. It's... It's it's all good and all bad at the same time, and nothing is one thing with this conversation in particular. Well, and it, and it, it teaches us to trust in something that's fundamentally undemocratic. Yeah, again, a corporatocracy. You know, in terms of entertainment. Well, because I think art is inherently un, undemocratic, because art is supposed to be about either a, an individual or a group expression of an idea. But when it is hitched to a company that makes more money in a year than uh, entire states will see in their lifetime. Uh, it's a it's a dicey proposition. Nobody should have that much money, honestly. Yeah. And uh, it's something that I I struggle with. Again, we're watching this movie about uh, people laying down their lives to to protect us from from uh, from grimace from McDonald's, mm-hmm. and it's moving. And Josh Brolin is captivating, even when there's some uncanny valley stuff. It's honestly even more captivating because the movie looks so much like a video game. And so it is very stagey. We kind of get taken out of it, and uh, it becomes its own reality uh, separate from ours because it's just so colorful and bright, and it's not real. Right. But it is. It's very real because there's a lot of money changing hands, and you, at a certain point, can you suspend your disbelief knowing that uh, Scarlett Johansson kept getting paid less than these people who've been in less movies than she has, and on and on, and all, all of the money changing hands to make these movies... At a certain point, yeah, it's hard to think about it as anything but a piece of commerce, and it's hard to engage with it as art. So my my first of two observations, the first of which is tying to the Adorno stuff, and the last which will tie to Shakespeare, which you're gonna not going to let me forget about. I'm that. not going to let him forget about okay, it. That's your job, man. You, gotta, you have one job today. Yeah, and you're you're doing all the work right now, man. To do that. Um, but here's the observation um, that I have regarding this, again, sort of uh, fascistic move, neoliberalism mm-hmm. to fascism, neoliberalism moving away from socialism, is that one of the great fears of socialism, right? If we start talking about socialism in general, uh, in terms of economics or in terms of healthcare, one of the great fears is that a, a board or a bureaucracy or an individual will make choices about who gets what and who gets it when and how they get it and who gets to live and technically who gets to die it seems to me that thanos is cast as a sort of terrifying death panel of socialized medicine that he's making the choice that this is how the world's going to survive and uh, someone's going to have to make the hard choices and and again i'm not saying that's accurate but i'm saying that is absolutely the uh conservative neoliberal or the uh uh, you know sort of pre-fascistic on end of you know, proper fascistic fear of what socialism looks like is that someone's going to be making those kind of choices. And that's where I'm seeing that that's where the villain is. Again, I don't think that's an accurate de- depiction of what socialism is about or what they want to see happening or, you know, what, what healthcare looks like in Canada. There are no death boards in Canada. Sorry, Grandpa. Anyway, um, that being said, 
that is the way in which we cast our villain. And so I, I think there's a strong fascistic tendency that's running through these films for that reason. And it, 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 it makes me frightened. I, 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 I think the problem is I can't disagree with you because the films are so vague that it allows any reading. I, well, that's, yeah, and that's by, by removing the films from any real-world histological or political context, you know, they, they, do, they can only do so much to set the MCU in the real world when, starting in 1939, the, you know, the Nazis have alien weapons. Mm-hmm. I, at a certain point, the, the MCU is very divorced from our reality. So there is no context to talk about these things because I think Thanos's goals and motivations are vague enough that you can paint him as fascistic. You can paint him as authoritarian with any number of bents to his authoritarianism, yeah. right? It's it's either uh, authoritarian right or left. Well, exactly. Yeah. It can be anything that it, it can be. Yeah, it's a true neutral authoritarianism. It, mm. it, it is super vague and allows any reading. And I guess that's a, a fair critique to make. I think the critique to counteract that is that all of the heroes in this film are committed to caring in a way that Thanos is not, right? This is a film that presents the pursuit of power as an inherently evil thing. Anybody who would ask for power does not deserve it. The only people who uh, could wield power are people given power without asking for it. Foisted upon them, exactly. Uh, And the people who have foisted upon them that then choose to share it anyway. Who, who still choose to share even when they have the ability to but make that, decisions. Isn't that how contemporary politicians construct their own narratives? That's what I'm getting. I was yeah. getting there. Oh, okay, I was okay, getting okay, there. I'm sorry. I was like, I, I, sorry. Go ahead. I was getting there. It allows you, it, it gives you these vague good guy narratives where you can make yourself the good guy in any story. Mm-hmm. It's it's a real, mm, it's, it's dicey. Because I think the film as a whole has a pretty strong opinion of teamwork and cooperation and uh, not trading people's lives. That says everybody is of value and everybody... That multiple times in this movie, people reference the idea of not trading lives or trading lives. And uh, even the one, quote, good guy who says, I'm definitely going to trade lives if it comes down to it, is the one that says, no, I won't, I, I won't trade lives. It's, yeah. it's uh, Doctor Strange who makes the call to say, everybody has value even though I said it didn't matter earlier. Now, it turns out, uh, you know, it's probably when he says stuff about end games, like, oh, God, now we're in a whole, like what's going to happen uh he already saw the future thing mm-hmm. we're in, we're in a uh prophecy paradox now but i i think that this is a movie that is actively committed to saying that everybody has value but you're right that i mean that still opens up people to have their narratives of like well i'm doing the right thing this was foisted upon me right it's it, it's I did not ask for this greatness came to me and it's I'm... it's empty so it can be filled with anything yeah but i i think what's there is pretty benign honestly I, I i think you were you were finding a boogeyman where you want there to be a boogeyman because there's so much money concentrated into these movies dustin that uh and money makes me nervous i and it should it, it is it is upsetting for disney to have all these pixar movies that make all this money all these disney movies or all these uh star wars movies that make all this money all these Marvel movies make all this money for them to have three to six movies in the top 10 movies of the year for like the last five years is disconcerting because the ability to produce visual media art should be democratic. And the less it becomes democratic, the more there's only so many narratives getting told. Now, Disney seems to be committed to a pretty, uh, pan cultural, uh, thing if only to make more money. But you're right. I mean, it's, 
it's a scary proposition. I'm not going to disagree with you on that. But I I think you're you're looking for a bad guy ideologically in Avengers that's simply not there. I don't think the text of the film supports it. I really don't. Well, I mean, I just uh, he he talks about making the tough decisions and how there's not enough resources, and it it, it is sort of like this sort of I I feel like within the text there is enough. Uh, little bits and pieces of Thanos saying something about the distribution of resources and that he he has sort of appointed himself as, you know, he can't be the distributor of the resources, but he can control the, the sort of the, the, the direction of the flow, that there's less places for it to go yeah it's it's a film that presents the idea of thinking you know everything is the ultimate wrong, though. Right. It's, it's, it's the film that says if one person oh, thinks... a bad guy, yeah. Yeah, and it... Let's go ahead and move on to talking about uh, uh, Brolin real quick, because I think it'll segue nice to Shakespeare, because okay, I think we've yeah, kind fair. of reached an end here. Uh, I think Brolin in this film is captivating. I think uh, he's very good, yeah. I I, th- I think he's better than very good. I think it is shocking how good he is, because uh, that is the one place where it's very easy for me to suspend my disbelief in this film, is watching that, that big purple cartoon uh, look very much like a real person. Uh does anybody have anything specific they want to say about Roland's performance? Okay, I just I thought <laughs> I just like it a lot, and uh, I think it, it navigates the uncanny valley very well. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think he he's kind of the one that him along with the the previous Thor movies invites that Shakespearean conversation. So I want to kind of segue to that. I mean, I think it's definitely an achievement in terms of visual effects um, for sure with the performance and with what they do with the actual on screen when you see character. One, ha- yeah, having him uh, interact with the physical world yeah, and all that it's, stuff. It's, it's 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 definitely an achievement. Andy Circus might argue. Well, Andy Circus <laughs> is incredible. You know? Hey, he laid that groundwork. That's yeah, for darn for sure. sure. Yeah. Um, so the thing that's Shakespearean that I wanted to talk about, and I think it's maybe the last thematic thing, is the idea of trading lives and the idea of that sort of uh, sacrifice and the willingness uh, to sacrifice oneself but to place one's sacrifice in the hands of another. That seems to keep happening in this movie, that Vision is asking Wanda to do what needs to be done to destroy him, that um, Gamora is asking... um, uh, Peter Coyle, Star-Lord. Yeah, Star-Lord, uh, Chris Pratt, to do uh, what needs to be done there. And it seems like there was one other. I, I thought there were three, but maybe there were only two. Um, oh, uh, Doctor Strange saying, I, I will let you or the kid die. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, I think there's even more than that. But you're right. I mean, it's the thing that keeps coming up. And what's interesting with the requested sort of uh, suicide, I guess, you might, yeah. suicide by proxies you might be looking at here, that they are constantly thwarted. You know, in this movie. And I don't know that I have a thematic thread to tie with that, but I just, I, I found that to be really, really fascinating that with this idea that we're not going to trade you for someone else, that I'm not going to make that choice. But at times, people do go ahead and say, I am going to, Wanda, I love you, Vision, but I'm going to try to kill you. Um, Chris Pratt tries to shoot Gamora, and of course, um, Bubbles. Because Bubbles, because Thanos has got the reality stone. Like, they get thwarted in that moment of, I'm willing to make the ultimate sacrifice for the sake of all humanity, and I get stabbed, right? I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know what's going on there, but I, I, it's been repeated enough in the movie that I found it really, really compelling. I, I think that hits on something I thought about a lot, uh, and that is just the emasculation of a lot of the heroes in this film. Yeah. Uh, which seems to be the recurring thread uh, that, you know, the men can't get the job done. And I, I think the uh, the gun being a very phallic symbol, I think, kind of uh, relates to that. You know, That's it's good, yeah. It's just as common. The men can't get it done. They can't get it up to kind of 
get get the job done uh, when they need to the most, um, which is kind of an interesting. But I, I I don't know that it really goes anywhere by the end of the film, because Thanos gets the job done. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got the power, uh, so he gets the women and he gets the and he gets the money, and so because he's got a giant scrotum chin. Yeah, it does a very. Look, when when you have a character pointed out like that, you can't not see it. Yeah, it cannot be. Unseen. It's very yeah. distracting. It's very distracting. Uh, the, yeah, it's 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 a point well observed. I, I I think I don't. Yeah, I don't know that there's any there there, but it, it's it's definitely a point well observed. Yeah, and I think maybe impotence is is, is really yeah. what it is. It's just a lack of ability to get to do whatever you want to do, even when it's like a giving up movie. I can't even surrender the way I want to surrender, you know, in those sort of moments. And so, um, it, and I guess it does increase the stakes of the amount of power you know that Thanos has got and now you know obviously with this fourth film we're going to have to do something to stop him now um so yeah anyway that that was that was my sort of shakespearean romeo and juliet suicide pack um, gotcha. sort of observation i didn't let you forget did i and you did not well done you are you get to stay it's you get a, a gold star yay you get an infinity stone bing i don't want one no, I don't. I don't think I do either. Don't give it to me. Seems Frodo. like a lot of responsibility. I dare not wield it. Yeah. Wait, that's a different movie. Um, but what? it's the same. Lord of the Rings. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah. I thought. I thought you were saying I dare not wield it was from something other than Lord of the Rings. Oh, and I was no, like, no, wait, no. what? No, it's not. No. Yeah, it's uh, Infinity War is weird. It's it, it's pro wrestling meets Shakespeare, meets nearly Buster Keaton esque physical comedy. It's bizarre. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of moving pieces. It, it is a film that literally uses every bit of technology ever created for movie making all at the same time. It's it's a weird movie. Yeah. And I still think a little bit of Lenny Riefenstahl. But uh, anyway, there you go. Um, dear it's an, listener. It's an inherently pan-ideological film, though. It's it's weird that you're... you're mm-hmm. This movie's got a lot of problems, but I don't know that that's one of them. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we'll continue that conversation off microphone. But, well, I guess uh, we'll find out when Endgame comes out. We can uh, reassess the situation. It. Yeah, we'll settle, we'll, settle when the dust settles. Uh, I'm throwing down my <laughs> Infinity Gauntlet, and we will settle it then. Boo. We shall see. Uh, All right, well, let, that, let's this render, let's, let's render a verdict um, about this film. Uh, shelf or trash, else or instead. I see faces going, maybe I knew at one point, but now they do not. I love to see the creases in the foreheads around me. I'm going to go to you first, Arthur, because you look the least perplexed. Shelf or trash, else or instead? I, I, I didn't prepare else's, and that's what's got me more perplexed. I, I would put it on the shelf. I, I think just from the pure uh, achievement of what this film really represents. I mean, this is a 10-year experiment of, you know, the Avengers was the first phase um, of that, right? It was that first, can we do this? And then this uh, Infinity War is really, how far can we take this? And I think just from the pure achievement of it, I, I think it's worth uh, you know mentioning. I think it'll be talked about for for a long time because I think, if nothing else, the MCU has completely kind of reshaped how uh, Hollywood and how you know at least franchise filmmaking works. Uh, and so I think you know for that element, uh, it's it's worth preserving. Um, as far as what else you would watch with it, um, man, I don't know. Uh, the the entire phase three, I think, leading up to this is the the most solid work that uh, Marvel has done outside of Iron Man and the uh, Winter Soldier, uh, uh, and so I you know Thor Ragnarok is a good time, uh, but Black Panther's uh, just great. I think it's really wrestling with some interesting themes. Uh, we've got probably the second or third best uh, villain in the MCU uh, in in Jordan's Killmonger, and so I, I'd say watch Black Panther. I, I think Lord of the Rings. I think that's really the other film I think of when I think of this kind of 
overarching narrative. You know, that's really a, a you know, the Lord of the Rings, you know, is notably, it is one book just broken into three sections. Everybody, I think, kind of thinks about it as three separate books, but it really is one story just broken up. And I think uh, it, it does a good job of that cinematically as well. It's, you know, those three, you could watch The Two Towers on its own, but it'd be kind of weird. Right, you, you're not just going to be like, I think I'm going to watch the Two Towers, and you're not going to be filled. Uh, so I think you watch that that trilogy, um, and and that's probably it. I mean, I, I don't know what else, you know. To say. I mean, this is just such a amalgamation of, of films. So I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, those would be my else's. I think Lord of the Rings and some of the Phase Three stuff. Nice. All right. Well, what do you say, uh, Mr. Dalton Stewart? Shelf or trash? Elsewhere instead. I'm going to stand strong with Arthur. I'm going to say shelf it. It is. The weirdest movie that exists in about five or six different genres, sometimes in the same scene. It's it's a scene with a a wizard who's also a monk who gave up all of his worldly possessions, chastising a guy whose superpower is richness. That's just a cool scene. One movie ago, Tony Stark and, and uh, Stephen Strange were the same guy. Yeah, it it is a it is a character arcs that say what is tony stark becoming the er version of himself and what is stephen strange becoming the unversion of himself it's truly interesting character arcs thrown together in a blender with a collection of tropes and visuals from a lot of different genres you've got this big sweeping like charge across the plane stuff happening but you've also got this space opera moons getting thrown at people stuff going on it is Pulling in Do a lot. not throw another moon at me. Or I'm going to lose it. It's, it's so you've got great comedy. I mean, this movie is structured and shot like a sitcom. I mean, it's no, it's not that surprising that the Russo brothers are shooting it because when you look at the, the way group scenes are shot, they're shot like a sitcom. Somebody's doing something silly in the background. Somebody's got a laugh line. And a lot of the times they can't have everybody on set on the same day. So it's very clearly... There are so many clear instances of body doubles being used for reverse shots in this movie. Mm-hmm. It is hilarious. But there, there's a staginess to the non-action scenes that I actually think is really fun and brings in that Shakespearean quality because when people are just standing around talking, it's a visually pretty boring movie. But I think that's interesting. I love all of these weird... The fact that Dustin thinks this movie is a... An accidental endorsement of fascism is really funny to me. I, I think he's so fucking wrong. It's absurd. Well, I didn't say accidental. Okay. I think he's wrong in a way that's truly absurd. Now, is it an endorsement of groupthink and uh, monoculture? Yeah. Is that a good thing? I don't know. Are aliens real and might we have to b- band together to defend ourselves from them? Maybe. If they are, monothink's probably not a bad thing, Dustin. Could go either way. My point is, wrinkles and all, warts and all, this movie is cuckoo banana pants, and you got to watch it, because it's, it's a movie where Chris Hemsworth, or uh, not Chris Hemsworth, well, let's go ahead and say Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth curls a son up back to life mm-hmm. with his big beefy arms, and then a tree makes him an axe. It's insane. you got to watch this cuckoo banana pants movie. Uh, what should you pair with it? I think you should... Uh, do the film that I, I've been trying to really sing the praises of a lot this year, and it's 1998's Blade. I think the film that really starts uh, superhero movies as we know them today. I don't think it's X Brian Singer's X Men. I don't think it's uh, Matt Rain Matt Rainey. That's a com- comedian I know. I don't think it's Sam Raimi's Spider Man. I think it's Blade from 1998, and I don't know that Wesley Snipes gets enough credit for starting superhero movies. Uh, 
he doesn't get nearly as much credit as uh, Donner's Superman uh, and uh, mm-hmm. the the entire four run movies uh, that Schumacher and uh, Burton had for Batman do. So you got to go check that out. I think you should check out the best question mark superhero movie of 2018, and that's Spider Man into the Spider Verse. That is a great movie that has a lot of fun with just how dumb and bloated superhero movies are getting. It, it is a movie about engaging with the glut of superhero movies in a way that doesn't feel exhausting, uh, unless you find colors exhausting. And uh, totally fair. The movie's very colorful. On that note, I, I want to go back and add uh, Teen Titans Go to the Movies Yeah, uh, to my list of else's, because it, it does a lot of the same stuff that mm-hmm. Spider-Verse is doing. It's you know this you know from the studio but it is that critique of superhero movies that's the whole thing it's doing is just kind of looking at the state of superhero movies and i it's, it's one of the better animated films of the year and it's it's a lot of fun so i would highly recommend you know taking time to watch that one and i think at the end of the day i know i mentioned blade already but this is a film that should be paired with children's films uh because it, these movies are for children and i think that's why the ideology is extremely thin and uncomplicated because it is simple moral lessons for children. These are not movies for 30-year-olds, and the fact that we insist on watching them is honestly pretty dumb on our part. And it speaks more to our arrested development rather than Correct. anything right. else. Yeah, look, sometimes I like a colorful punch-em-up. So that, that's where I stand, Dustin. I'm, I'm going to move it to you. What do you think about this insanity? Well, it's absolutely an important cultural artifact, so shelf. You know, do I like it? I'm not so sure. But, um, yeah, I, it, it, you need to see this movie. You need to know this particular uh, series of films if you are conversant in film. I think it's just necessary uh, for you to be able to do that. Um, is it problematic? For show. Um, so what should you also watch to clean your palate? I don't know. Check out Rain Wilson in Super, um, which is a fun little comedy take on the superhero genre that I think is just interesting, although also problematic in other ways. And uh, Yeah, but when it's problematic, it feels like it's doing it on purpose, yes. which is a different thing, maybe. Which is smarter. Is uh, it? Mm, yeah. Yeah, it probably is. Smarter. Um, also, um, then, uh, one of the best little mini-series of comic book films, Hell's Boys 1 and 2. Um, Guillermo del Toro, uh, check those out. Um, that would be my su- suggested different pairing, um, which I think actively fights against, uh, that sort of, uh, you know, capitalist, neoliberal, um, to fascist sort well, of Well, del Toro, thing. noted anti-fascist, yeah, so he's, checks he's, out. Yeah, so, um, Noted rich anti-fascist. Um, also <laughs> quite rich, Yes. So there is a problem there. But nonetheless, um, that's my recommendation uh, for something uh, in addition to watch uh, to perhaps cleanse one's palate and or soul uh, regarding that. So there you go, dear listener. Those are our thoughts on Avengers Infinity War. The surface was hardly scratched, I, I think. There was more we could have said, and there always will be. You know. So uh, tune into uh, Good Trash on our cast uh, Avengers Infinity War Endgame. Yep. yep, we'll get there eventually. Well, that's the last movie we're going to talk about this year, guys. How do we feel? That's right. You don't have to do one more. I'm good. We're done? Yay! Kind of. I get to go home? Not quite. Oh. There is one more thing we've got to do before the end of the year. What's that? Well, we've got to, we've got to put a few things on the platinum shelf. We've got to... We've got to it's award season, baby! The, uh, we've got to bring down the Hebrew hammer on a few things. Yes, uh, we do. We're going to... We're going we to open the hall. Yeah. The hall of violence. We that's have a whole right. installation we just opened up. We, gonna, we built a wing. That's right. It is time for the uh, annual Shelby Awards, where we look back at 2018 and uh, what we've done for the show, the movies we've looked at. This is not a 
best of 2018 films from the year. It is a just a look back at the movies we talked about this year, and it's it's always a fun starting point if you're new to the show. It's uh, kind of where we look at the highs and lows and kind of pick uh, pick out a la carte what you should go back and revisit if you're uh, uh, new to the show. So I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It's always a good time. Got a couple of new categories to talk about. I'm excited for that. Uh, we've got some old favorites. Uh, we've got a lot of contenders for the Hebrew Hammer, mm-hmm. uh, which does, hasn't happened in a while. Uh, so... What'd you say? We do. I thought you said two. I've got more than two on my plate. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's it's always a good time, and I'm very excited to go uh, to the Shelfies. So uh, get your black ties uh, out, and let's have some fun. Are you going to come back for that one, Dustin? I'll come back. Do I have to wear a tie? No, you're fine. Do black tie optional, yes. Yeah. Okay. Do I have to wear pants? Pants are optional? Ah, nice. Yeah, I'm fine with that. It's, it's a low-key ceremony. <laughs> Yeah, it's just us. It's not like the Golden Globes. <laughs> Arthur and I are going to wear tuxedos to the job interview, but uh, I'm going to wear a tuxedo but no pants. Okay, there you go. All right, he's just got the tails. Anyway, um, I am done talking right now, but we are having a great conversation about the movies because that's what it's all about. We're going to keep watching. You're going to keep talking. No, you're going to keep talking, and we're going to keep watching. No, we'll keep talking. You keep watching, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Good Trash Genrecast, brought to you by the Good Trash Media Network. For all things Good Trash, go ahead and tune on over to www.goodtrashmedia.com. Our intro music is made by a friend of the show, Aaron Rodgers, and our outro music is the song War um, by Edwin Stark. Star. Edwin Star, not Stark. Tony Stark, Edwin Star. War, what is it good for? Or what is Tony Stark good for? You tell me.